The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, open your Bible to James chapter 3 before this thing goes south. <laughs> James chapter 3. We're going to wrap up the series we've been in, The Power of Words. And I'm going to combine two of the four words we talked about in this series. Um, the scriptures tell us about the power of words, and we've been examining that. We took a break last week for Father's Day. But there's four things words do, powerful, powerful things that words do. And in the first two weeks, we saw how our words are containers. They contain. They contain either death or life. We're delivering little Amazon boxes of small or large doses of life or death to everyone who receives the words from our mouth. And so words are very powerful. And because they are containers, we should activate restraint. We should not just let whatever comes out, come out. We should learn to go, is this going to be a good thing or not? Secondly, we learned that our words direct, our words direct, they direct the course of our lives. What we say impacts the people around us. The things we say out loud influences what we believe about the world and what we affirm about ourselves and can lead us down a path that ends in either life or death. And this is one of the ways God's chosen to interact with us through the good news about Jesus, that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth and that confession and relationship with Jesus leads us in eternal life. And so our words both contain and direct. And so since our words direct, we should activate purpose. We should think about what we say and we should engage with what is true. And we should have a relationship with God that changes the way that we use our words. Well, I want to wrap up the series because next week we're going to jump into the Proverbs and we're going to spend all of July and August uh, in the Proverbs. I've never taught through the Proverbs before, and I've been spending the last six months or so just saturating myself in what is the clear wisdom of God. And this particular series is not just a kind of chapter and verse. Here's some typical wisdom about the way the world works and some true things about you and some things about God. And if you do this, things will be better. And um, what we see in Proverbs is really a, a totality of what is wisdom from God, which is a way of seeing the world the way God says it is, not as the way it merely appears, not as the way you may feel about it. And what we know from the New Testament, particularly 1 Corinthians 1, 24, that Christ is in fact the wisdom of God. And so in the Proverbs, if you're looking rightly, you're gonna get a picture of Jesus, and so we are gonna find for ourselves in this study, wisdom from God for life, for liberty, for peace, and for prosperity. These are four themes we're gonna, we're gonna run through the book of Proverbs together. And I don't think of a better time to start that series than on the 4th of July weekend. Can I get amen? So I hope you'll come back and join us. And I'd love for you to engage in this series in a, in a deeper way. And so um, Christ Church is providing for all of our onsite attenders a Proverbs journal, which you may have already grabbed one when you came in. They're on the table as you exit the double doors here. And if you will engage with us to, to read Proverbs, it's just the book of Proverbs uh, bound with a large margin for you to make notes. There's nothing, you can write whatever you want in there. You can draw pictures of how the verses make you feel. I don't care how you use it. I just wanna see all of us engaging in, in many sensory ways to engage with God's truth in a relationship with him and to study and to learn. And so hopefully that'll be a tool for you. I'd love for you to use it. If you plan to take it because it has some intrinsic value and then stuff it in a box or in a shelf or re-gift it to somebody else, please don't. Um, I didn't order enough for everybody, so I'm gonna have to get more, but I didn't wanna have any left over. So I'm commending them to you and I'm asking you to use them, uh, but take one if you'll use it. Can you do that for me? Yes. All right, awesome. James chapter three, here we go. We're gonna read one to 12. We're gonna highlight the rhetorical questions that are asked in verse 11 and 12 at the end. But here's what this section reads, James 3, one to 12. Not many of you 
should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, inferred. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, largely because of all the words. See how this works? For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But verse eight, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. And then this question, verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. Lord, this little section of scripture opens our minds to wonder and to question and to evaluate, to postulate. And it brings us to a conclusion. And that conclusion is we need your help desperately. And so God, as we consider in this final sermon, the power of words, their capacity to reveal and to connect, God, I pray that we would hear your voice, that your words would predominate, that your words would reveal truth, that your words would connect us to your life-giving spirit through faith. God, we need what only you can do. And so we are expressing our dependence upon you and we are inviting you to speak to us. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand. And God, I pray that we would have genuine hearts to receive the seed of your word and that we would flourish as we receive it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. I mentioned in week one that our words are either constructive or destructive. There are no middle words. The words we say can either build someone up or tear someone down, even if that someone is us and we're the only one hearing our own words. And so words have power just in the way that God's created words to work. There's also the relational impact and components. And as we kind of close out this series, two of the things that words do are, are very interconnected. And I felt like when I preached this years ago, isolating how our words reveal disconnected from how our words connect us to God and others is, could actually be a little bit harmful. Uh, because it's only part of the story. And if we think about how our words reveal and that revelation is ugly or bad, it can end up leaving us a little bit hopeless. And the only answer to that problem is finding connection with God and then finding connection to others through uh, repentance, through forgiveness, through forbearance, through communication. And so the ideas of our words 
revealing and connecting really are married together and go hand in hand. And so this kind of fits, but in order to get this done, uh, I got to speed things up a little bit. I was thinking about the scene in The Princess Bride. If you're a member of Christ Church, you have to watch The Princess Bride to be a member here. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but you know, when they're on the castle gate and Wesley's coming back from being mostly dead all day and they only have 30 minutes and Indigo says, let me explain. And then he goes, there's no time. Let me sum up, right? <laughs> Humperdink to Mary Buttercup in a little less than half an hour. That's the whole thing, right? So that's how I feel. I'm trying to get this sermon done. I have two sermons and I have 17 minutes, but we're gonna do this because I believe in miracles, all right? Um, and it's really not that complicated. It really doesn't need um, a lot of illustration. It's very common to our uh, experience. Our, our words reveal. James is saying, what comes out of here is a reflection of what's in here. You know that is the truth. I remember in our early years of being married, Tiffany and I were learning to communicate and I would be speaking because I did a lot of talking and she would be listening and I would watch her facial disposition just totally change. And I remember like early in those years thinking, I don't know you, what you just heard, but that is definitely not what I meant. <laughs> That's not the outcome that I was looking for. But the reality is, is that when we say something, it can be very destructive and we can't take it back. Do you realize that? We say things like, I didn't mean that. I was, I, was, I was all stirred up or I was angry. Sometimes we use alcohol as the reason why. I remember there's a song when I was in high school that said, uh, can we forget about the things I said when I was drunk? I didn't mean to call you that. But the reality is we all know you did think that and you did mean that. Why? Because words are a revelation of what is inside the heart. And this is what James is drawing our attention to. He's saying, brothers and sisters, figs don't come from grapevines. You realize salt water doesn't come out of a fresh spring. What comes out of a person is already on the inside of a person. Jesus actually went to great lengths to, to speak this to the Pharisees in particular. Matthew's gospel captures that for us. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil, which Jesus says is nonsensical, but also reveals the condition of the unbelieving hardness of the Pharisees' hearts. And in verse 33 of chapter 12, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, echoing what John said earlier in the book. How can you speak good when you are evil? You can't. Evil comes out because evil is on the inside. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. Somebody say justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. In, for, in chapter 15, he's telling the Pharisees that they are not keeping themselves undefiled by ceremonially washing their hands before they eat because it is not what is on the outside of them that defiles them, but what is on the inside of them. And in verse 17, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? This is biology, Jesus. Biology teacher. <laughs> cleans that up for us a little bit. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Although I do tell my children it will make them sick. So wash your hands before you eat. Can I get an amen? 
It's just good hygiene, but it won't make you holy. So the principle is clear. It's from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the problem is obvious. You can't change your words without changing your heart. This is the conclusion James brings us to. And in fact, God's been leading the people of Israel for generations to lead them to that conclusion. It wasn't until centuries of building a people for God that continue to go astray, who continue to worship idols, to speak evil, to tell lies, to break all the commandments, that God says, I've been preserving you not because you are good, but because I am good. And what you need is a new heart but he promises he's gonna give them that new heart, Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Do you see? The reality is true. Our words simply reveal our hearts. It's an impossible situation, but we have a God who makes all things possible. Aren't you glad? Where we have an impossible situation, a broken heart, an idolatrous heart, a stone cold heart, what comes out of the mouth should not surprise us. What should surprise us is that God's done something to tra transform us on the inside. So that what can, can come out is because there is now a new wellspring of life. And that is something that God does and that we simply receive by faith. And yet it is not disconnected from our words. This is why the idea of our words revealing our heart and God's saving us and giving us a new heart comes from the connection through faith. And that faith is not absent from words. We keep coming back to this this verse over and over again, Romans 10, 9 to 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God did something, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is, here's that word again, justified. But instead of condemnation, which is what Jesus says will come from those who do not have this new heart, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, we all need a revelation. And the revelation is you got a broken heart. It's not even a little Grinch heart. It's just dead, stone cold dead. I'm on the Myers-Briggs heavy on the thinking side. And my wife is heavy on the feeling side, which isn't bad enough that being a man and a woman is hard enough that we don't see things the same way. But like I, I process everything intellectually and she processes most things emotionally. And I always joke with her. I have, for 20 years, we've been married. And I say, babe, you just got to remember, I got an itty bitty little Grinch heart, you know? <laughs> and I'm trying to get it to grow three sizes in the next 40 years. That's what we're going for. But God's saying, your heart is dead, stone cold, idolatrous and broken. And the destructive behaviors and the sins in our lives come from us seeking to find life that we should be getting from God, but we are disconnected. But when we receive a revelation, then we are reconnected from our words. God spoke, we heard it. When we received that revelation, we become connected to God's life-giving spirit. A new heart is given to us and now new things come out of us. Isn't that good news? Listen, I'm so grateful to tell you. I'm not proud to tell you. I'm grateful to tell you. I don't speak the same way I used to before I was following Jesus because I used to use words to get attention. I used to pick out somebody in the room. I go, oh, you're low-hanging fruit. We're going to use you. And I would just tear that person apart. 
make fun of them, tease them. Usually it was somebody who had a little bit of an ego complex going on. I could tell that they were all, they were just leaning forward, you know? Like they just needed to be in control. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You may be able to take me out back and whoop me, but I'm going to get you in front of all these people. And I would just take them down a notch and just tease them. And, and so ugly and destructive. And I would do that to get attention, to just get a few laughs out of people. And I did this all the time. I'm sure there's some people that knew me in high school and college that just would love to still take me out back. <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. And it's not because I'm a better person or I learn better. God gave me a new heart. Every single person that I see, I see as a person made in the image of God, precious to him, irreplaceable, filled with value and purpose and calling. And I want to evoke every good out of them and not tear them down because I feel differently. I see the world differently. That's a miracle. God did that. I can't do that. And so this idea of being our words revealing and then our words connecting is where this heart transplant comes from. And this is because of who our God is. Listen, he continued to speak by the prophets over and over through Moses, over and over. He's speaking through priests. He's even sending angels. People are not getting it. They can't hear. They are stiff necked. Their hearts are dead. And so God, what did he do? He spoke a word by his son. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And he spoke, he he dwelt among us and he made God known. He is the one who reveals. He is the object of our faith. When we confess that he is the Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's when we receive the gift of a new heart. And that's when the real work begins. And so if you see light and life coming out of here, it's because God did a miracle in here. And our words reveal that. Our words reveal and our words connect. First off, we need to be connected to God. This is what Romans 10 is about. Use your words to connect with God. Say, God, I believe you. I take you at your word. I recognize my problem that I can do nothing about it. I, can, I throw myself completely at your mercy and I pray that you would do the miracle of salvation for me. And he does every time. He's never said anybody genuinely coming to God asking for that. He's never gone, I'm gonna think about it in your case. You know, let's do a little probationary period and see how this shakes out. Give me a week. Let me see how serious you are. No, instantly. God does a miracle inside of the heart. And then he begins this, this connection. We also need this connection with each other. You know, our words reveal the truth about us. And sometimes, sometimes the ugly comes out, doesn't it? Let's be honest for a second. <laughs> Undo your top button. We let stuff come out. Sometimes it surprises us. Sometimes it hurts other people. And one of the beautiful things about being connected to people who are part of Jesus is that our, we use our words to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. That was evil. That was hurtful. Not, not that's not what I meant. You must have misunderstood. But I, I've got a new heart and God's doing a work in me. And I don't want to be that person anymore. And brothers and sisters, this is when our words start to heal and connect and rebuild and bring us back together. And this is a miracle of God as well. This is why I have faith uh, that, that reconciliation can be had, that peace can be made, that people can come back together, that hurts in the past can be healed, that we can have a hope and a vision for the future. Not because there's some advice that we can all follow, but because there's a God we all know, that he has connected us to the sacrifice of redemption in his son, Jesus. And he has indwelt us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he has given us a new heart. And so we trust in him and we look to him and we receive from him. And then life comes out and peace comes out. This is what James understood. You know, chapter three is kind of a conundrum. He puts it out there for us to consider. But if you read the whole book, like I was asking you to, you will have seen that he's planting a seed in chapter one that he wants us to be thinking about. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Now, sometimes we immediately think of wisdom as the specific right advice to make the right decision or take the right course for the best outcome. Do you guys think about wisdom kind of like that sometimes? And we're praying because we're at a crossroads or a quandary and we don't know what to do. And so we're asking God to tell us what to do. And we think that's wisdom. That's not actually wisdom. That's sometimes related to, sometimes kind of the outcome of wisdom, but wisdom is receiving God's view on reality. Wisdom is receiving God's measuring system. Wisdom is receiving God's heart. Wisdom is seeing the world God's way. And that requires a connection with, guess who? God. Do you see how this works? And so our words connect. When you ask God, you are both using your words and making a connection. Do you see it? And so you reveal, I have a need. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make sense of this world. I don't know how to put this back together. I don't know how to handle this problem. I don't know how to deal with this thing in me. And using your words, you reveal you are missing something and God is the solution. And through prayer, you are now using your words to ask him for something and a connection is made. And when you connect your need to God's resource and willingness and heart to help, you will receive God's perspective every single time. He will never let you down. And so in that our words connect, we can expect to encounter God and receive his wisdom. James 1, 17 and 18 says it this way, a little further down chapter one, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. He's the same guy he's always been. He'll do the same things he's always done. He's not gonna be different to you. You realize that? Isn't that good news? It doesn't change at all. Some, I mean, you, you were, so a lot of us in this room are married. You ever just wake up and your spouse is just in a different mood than they were before they went to bed the night before? You're like, what transpired in the night to bring about this disposition? We shift and change like crazy, do we not? You know? Yeah, I can, I can always tell my wife had one of those dreams where I did something bad, you know? And your first impulse is to go, I didn't really do that, you know? We, we, we're all shifty, but God is not shifty. God is not moody. God is not fearful. God is not out of control. He is the same. And he's ready to give good gifts to those who ask. Will you make a connection through your words? And so here this idea of wisdom as seeing the world God's way gets filled out after this question is asked in, in verse 12. The next question that James asks in verse 13, look at this. Who is wise and understanding among you? So who's, who's got this download from God who starts to see the world the way that it is, the way that God's revealed it? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Live in line with this wisdom and understanding you've received. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? Do you know this is what God wants to give you? This is what God wants to give you. And so if you let your words reveal your problem, and then you take that problem to God and make a connection, and then you let his word communicate 
the solution. And through your connection to him through faith, you will receive the transformation on the inside. Listen, because our words reveal, we require discernment. So each, each week I've been telling you to activate something, activate restraint, activate purpose. Because our words reveal, we need to activate discernment. Some of us need to take a look at our own heart and say, for just a second, what, is this the good heart that God's talking about? Or am I still working with that old one? Because it is possible, brothers and sisters, to go to church for 20 years and to know lots of true things about God and to have never actually used your words to express that I need what only you can do for me, God. There's, there's people, I preach the gospel every week in church, no matter what, because I know there will be people who have been trying to receive God's gift of grace by doing the works that he, we think he wants us to do. And that is not how you get a new heart. That's how you get a headache. And so will you look at your own heart and say, have I received this heart? And if I have, then I know there's a miracle of grace. I know that God's gonna be faithful. I know he's gonna give me the wisdom. Sometimes we need that same discernment to look at the way we're talking to somebody and say, what does this say about my present level of health? Where do I need to change? What do I need to ask God for? What wisdom do I actually need? But if we don't let the revelation of our words and God's words draw us to him, we don't make that connection, we're left flat. Do you know that? And so the revelation power of words needs to meet the connection power of words. And we need this, brothers and sisters. We need to talk about it in real time, in real life, because we have this human tendency, this Adam and Eve tendency to face the truth and we want to hide. We get a little glimpse of our problem and we go, oh, fig leaf. I don't want to say what the problem is. What's the problem? I am naked. Who told you you were naked? What did you do? She did it, right? This is our impulse every time. We wanna hide and blame and move away. And God's inviting us into the light. He's inviting us into a revelation of truth. He's inviting us to participate in a world that is as he sees it, which there's no variation or shadow due to change. He sees it all. And so when we come right out before God with all of our problems and all of our fears and all of our anxieties and all of our judgments and all the ugliness on the inside of us, we are positioning ourselves to receive his gift of transformation, his radical gift of faith that comes to us and changes our heart so that new things begin to come out. So we're no longer a saltwater pond, we're a freshwater pond. Jesus said that he wants to do a miracle in us that would result in springs of living water from the inside of us. And that's what we're being invited to. And so in this series, if you've been convinced of the power of words to contain life and death, and you've been activating restraint, then you're encountering the power of God. If you've been convinced that the power of words directs the course of your life, and you've been thinking more purposefully and, and speaking with purpose, and living each day, saying the things that lead you in the way you wanna go. If, you, if you've been considering the idea that words reveal and you're gonna activate discernment and say, what is going on in here? What do I need from God? Maybe I need to have a fresh start with God right now, today. Or maybe I need to ask him for wisdom and I need to be honest and vulnerable before him. And lastly, if you're convinced that your words, your actual words connect you to God's life-giving spirit and give you a new heart, and then God uses those same words to build you and connect you to other people by speaking life into them. That means that we should be coming to God looking for everything that only he can give us, amen? And so God, I pray, I pray for myself and every person in my hearing. Lord, we not only wanna harness the power of words, we not only wanna take advantage of this clear description of the way the world works from your word, but God, we wanna encounter you, the living God in a, in a life altering way. God, we want to benefit from your generosity, that you are the one who gives grace. 
We want to be recipients, God. We want to receive the grace of forgiveness and salvation and justification and, and adoption, God. We want to be overwhelmed by your generosity. We know that you have spoken so that we could have a connection. You have spoken by, by Jesus, by the word made flesh. You've been so generous, God, and we're just here to receive it. Lord, for every person in my hearing that has received your gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus, God, we just express our gratitude to you and we pray that you would do the work in us to purge out all the old uglies that only the good comes out. God, for those who are here who have not received your gift of eternal life, who are still trying to struggle through this life with an old broken heart, God, I pray they would hear this revelation, receive it and come to you with their words to say, I confess and I believe and that they would be saved. God, as we engage with your Holy Spirit every day, as we engage with your word every day, as we ask you for wisdom every day, Lord, I pray that the transformation that occurs, that we would become more and more and more like, like Jesus. God, I pray that we would live generously with our words. God, the people around us would begin to, be, to benefit from kindness and truth and encouragement and consolation and comfort and, and praise. So God, this is a miracle and we just position ourselves to receive it. God, as we consider the great cost of this miracle, Lord, I pray that our hearts would value it beyond all things and that you would receive this song as an act of worship. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.